I invite you to take out your Bibles once again and turn to the Gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 8. Let's ask for God's help and blessing. Father, we are desperate people. We are in desperate need for your light and life to be among us now. Father, we don't just need information. We need transformation. And so be pleased, Father, to use your word and spirit to move us, to change us, Help us to become more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. We're back in Luke chapter 8. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 40 through 56. It's hard to believe it's um, the 21st century. It seems like it was just the turn of the century because I spent some of my growing up years in the 20th century. Now, some of you weren't even alive in the 20th century, but I remember this, and it's according to Sports Illustrated, it was voted as the greatest sports moment of the 20th century. That's 100 years of sports moments, and Sports Illustrated said this is the greatest sports moment. February 22nd, 1980. The Winter Olympics, Lake Placid, New York, ice hockey, The United States of America versus the Soviet Union. Amateurs and college athletes versus professionals, all soldiers in the Red Army. David versus Goliath. Y'all may be familiar with Al Michaels, the the, uh, journalist who calls football games. But back in 1980, he was calling the Winter Olympics and specifically this game. He delivered that famous call at the end of the game, and I quote, 11 seconds, you've got 10 seconds, the countdown going on right now, Morrow up to Silk, five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. That's the question Al Michaels asked. Do you believe in miracles? Because what he was witnessing, what most people in the United States were witnessing was as the U.S. beat the Soviet Union, a a miracle. Do you believe in miracles? The last two times we were in Luke, back on November 19th and 26th, miracles have been at the center of what we've seen. We've seen Jesus perform miracles as he demonstrates his authority over natural forces. Recall how he calmed the stormy sea. And he demonstrated his authority over supernatural forces. We saw that in the restoration of the demon-possessed man. Well, today in our passage, we will see Jesus demonstrate his authority over disease and death, seen in his healing of the woman and the raising to life of the young girl. These two miracles in today's narrative reveal once again that the word that has been declared as powerful, think back to the parable of the soils, is the word that will be demonstrated as powerful. The scale of the problems 
is once again emphasized. It was a stormy sea. The disciples were terrified, scared to death. They thought they were going to die. The demon-possessed man, the townspeople had given up on him. He had given up on himself. He was living in the graveyard. The problems were emphasized. And now there's this incurable disease and death. Luke, you will hear, relates two complementary stories. It's a story within a story. It's a split screen. It's a picture within a picture. Now, while, while miracles may be at the center, it's faith that's the lesson that's being taught. Faith in Jesus. Remember why Luke is writing his gospel. If you go back to chapter one and look at the first four, four verses, he's writing an orderly account a detailed account. He's writing so that his reader originally, Theophilus, and all readers after that will have certainty, certainty about Jesus. He is writing so that they will be assured that what is being taught, what he's been taught about Jesus really is true. The question Luke wants his readers then and now to be able to answer is not, do I believe in miracles? But rather, do I believe in Jesus? Luke is writing to provide assurance about Jesus. We've seen earlier in chapter eight that Jesus has been at work on the sea and on the land, the eastern shore, and now he returns to the land of Galilee, the western shore. Join with me as I read, beginning in verse 40 through the end of the chapter. This is how Luke describes what's going on. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus on hearing this answered him, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. 
And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Today's passage is about faith. And as with every passage in Luke, it's about Jesus. It's about faith in Jesus. Listen to verse 48 again. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Listen to verse 50 again. Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And so what will we learn from this about faith? What will we learn about Jesus? Uh, We can learn a lot of things, but let's narrow it down today to just three. Sometimes Jesus will ignore your faith, or so it seems. Jesus will grow your faith, and Jesus will test your faith. So let's look first at Jesus will sometimes ignore your faith, or so it seems. This is part one of Jesus with the synagogue ruler Jairus. He's the ruler of the synagogue. He organizes the worship service. He says, hey, would you pray? Hey, would you read scripture? He's kind of the president of the synagogue board and society. He's not a religious leader in the sense of a priest, but he's super important to the running of the synagogue and the worship in the synagogue. What's his situation? His little daughter, his little daughter is gravely ill at the point of death. I found it interesting as I was thinking about this and praying, who usually takes care of the sick child in a home? Often the mother, right? But here, it's the father. It's the father who's highlighted as being concerned and goes to Jesus. He falls at Jesus's feet and he begs him. He he. He welcomes Jesus and he casts himself on Jesus' mercy. At last, here is a Jewish leader who in desperation sees that everything depends on entrusting himself to Jesus, bearing in mind the possible consequences. This important man, this most likely well-to-do man, well-respected man, well-thought-of, looked to, a leader. He falls at Jesus' feet and begs. He implores Jesus. He is desperate. All he has at that moment is desperate faith. My friends, many times that's all we have as well. Desperate faith. Jairus is demonstrating faith. It's not an issue of can you, it's, it's will you. One commentator, Jeff Thomas, has written, 
Who worries about religious and political controversy when your only daughter is dying? When death comes nearer and nearer to us, it is a race against time, and all of us are in that race. Now, how does Jesus respond to this expression of desperate faith? He listens to Jesus. He goes with him. He is demonstrating once again something that Luke is showing us over and over again, that Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is kind. And yet, as we heard in the narrative, there's an unexpected delay. We see in verses 43 through 48. That's the story in the middle that we're going to look at in a moment. Skip down to verse 49. Shocking news. Your daughter is dead. She is no longer gravely ill. She's no longer really sick. She's dead. And how does Jesus respond to that new news? Verse 50 again. Do not fear. Only believe. More about that in a moment. Jesus it looks like, is ignoring his faith. That may be what Jairus is feeling. I am desperate. I've fallen at the feet of Jesus. He's listened to me. He's going to go with me. And there's this delay. There's this interruption. There's this, this, new, this new thing that's now standing in the way of Jesus coming to my home. It seems as if Jesus is ignoring his faith. How about you all? Despite the faith that you profess in Jesus, do you ever think Jesus is ignoring you? Forgotten about you? Do you feel like you're having a conversation with Jesus and the next thing you know, Jesus has abruptly left the conversation and gone somewhere else. Has Jesus forgotten about you? Did another higher priority thing come along and and Jesus is no longer there with you? So sometimes it looks like Jesus will ignore your faith. We see that Jesus' journey to Jairus' home is interrupted when Jesus is touched by a woman. And Jesus does the unexpected. He stops. He stops. He he seeks out the toucher. And he's going to talk to the woman. What is Jesus doing? He's ignoring Jairus' faith. Or at least that's how it looks. That's how he feels. Now, what is Jesus showing the woman, Jairus, and his disciples? In a word, this interruption, this delay, Jesus is going to grow their faith. Jesus will grow your faith. And in this encounter, we see three things. First, we see that long illness of the woman. Twelve years, 
of physical distress and suffering. But not only that, recall what would be happening to her. She would be declared as unclean. She would be a social and religious outcast with this flow of blood that no physician could heal. She had spent all her money. She is not only just suffering physically, she has been declared unclean and she is isolated. She knows the rules. She can't be with people. They know the rules. They can't be with her. She's exhausted all means of human help. She had financial means. They're gone. Evidently, she's got physicians tried to help her. And Luke, unlike Mark, doesn't go into great detail about the failure of the physicians. Maybe because Luke is believed to have been a physician. He doesn't want to say too much bad about what physicians can't do. But what is this showing us? It's showing us, I believe, our fundamental problems and needs cannot be solved or met by anything in the world. Not by the money you've got, not by the best care you've got. A Christian is someone who's come to see all the world's resources are utterly inadequate in the final sense. Only when we begin to see that nothing the world offers can ultimately satisfy our desires, nor can solve our problems. Only until we see that and recognize that and acknowledge that can we come to Christ. Can we come to him with the heart attitude of desperation and humility? Second, we see the important decision the woman made, and we see that in verse 44. She had heard the reports about Jesus The news has gotten around. The crowds are delighted that Jesus is back. She's heard the reports about Jesus. And like the demoniac, she's lost all hope in others. But she's heard of Jesus. And she acts on what she had heard. She, in other words, believes and reaches out and touches the hem of Jesus' garment. She was healed immediately after 12 years of suffering. Here's the difference between touch and proximity. A lot of people want to get near Jesus, but she touches him. And as it were, he touches her. It's not a matter of just getting close to Jesus. A lot of people on Sunday mornings are gathered in buildings and they may see themselves as close to Jesus. But she is touching Jesus. And what's the response of Jesus? We've seen her situation. We see her decision. And and Jesus here is going to give instruction to the woman. But he's teaching Jairus, who's right there, a lesson. Jesus knows that power had left him. Now, this is mysterious. Fully human, fully divine. Who touched him? Jesus asked that question, who touched my garments? Does he know or does he not know? Is it a matter of lack of knowledge or is he asking it for the benefit of the woman and the benefit of what he's going to teach Jairus? 
Look at the statement Jesus makes in verse 48. Daughter, your faith has made you well. It's the one and only time in the Gospels Jesus uses the word daughter. She had been an outcast and now she's in the family of God. Your faith has made you well. Both physically, there's a healing, and spiritually, there's a saving. So what is Jesus saying about faith here? It's not the touch of Jesus' garment that brings healing, but it's the touch of faith. It wasn't superstition. And if it even was, Jesus wanted her to be brought out and to publicly acknowledge and testify. She wanted to stay hidden, but she believed enough that if I touch him, he may be able to do for me what no one else has been able to do. You see, my friends, weak faith can lay hold of a strong Christ. It is not great faith that's needed, but real faith that's needed. A few years ago, when it got really cold, um, a lot of ponds froze up. And I was tempted at times to go out on a pond, not to ice skate, but just to walk on a frozen pond. And the issue is, if I say I don't believe I'm going to fall through the ice, the issue is not my confidence in what I just said. My is- the issue is how thick is the ice? Is it a quarter inch thick or is it a four inch thick ice? I don't think the quarter inch is going to hold me up despite what I may believe. But I'm pretty sure the four inch thick ice will hold me up. You see, it's not faith in faith, but it's rather faith in the object of faith. My friends, we as we're going through the basics of the Christian life in our adult and youth Sunday school class, uh, becoming a Christian, being a Christian, belonging to the church, looking at the means of grace, perseverance to the end. It's not Jesus saves us by grace through faith in him. It's faith in him. There's trusting Jesus as the woman is doing, and then it's telling him everything. It's not a hit and run. It's rather a hit and and stay. It's ironic, isn't it? She's telling Jesus what he already knows. It's a model for us to go to him, to tell him the truth about him ourselves that he already knows. This woman comes in fear. She's trembling. She falls down before Jesus. And then she goes away. She departs in peace. Earlier in Luke, when Jesus is presented at the temple, Simeon in the Nunc Dimittis praises God, takes that baby Jesus, and now your servant can depart in peace for I have seen the salvation of God. Jesus saves this woman. Go in peace. What beautiful words. I mean, we sang how sweet the name of Jesus sounds. How about the words of Jesus? Go in peace. 
And so now after Jesus' encounter with this once ill but now healed woman, he resumes his journey to Jairus' home. Only now it looks like it's too late. Or is it? It seems as if Jairus' faith has been ignored. And yet by observing the healing of the woman, his faith has been grown. But now... Now it will be tested. Jesus will test your faith. It's the second part of the narrative of Jairus. Just compare and contrast the woman called daughter, suffering for 12 years of agony and social isolation, and Jairus with a 12-year-old daughter, who at that time was on the brink of womanhood. Twelve beautiful years of a little girl growing up. All the joy that she had brought that family, and she has died. It's a surprising delay. The ambulance, as it were, was on the way, and it stops. It's amazing that it stops. Jesus is is thinking about priorities. Jesus is doing triage. He's evaluating airway, breathing, circulation. He's trying to figure out who needs immediate attention and who can wait. This woman was older. She was ostracized. She had a serious but chronic complaint. But Jairus' daughter was the young child of of an influential man with an acute life-threatening illness. Did you notice this, that the woman had already been healed when Jesus stopped. Jesus stops to talk about the healing, to talk about salvation, to bring her, as it were, into the family of God. She had been healed, saved, and then Jesus stops. So let's observe and take note of what Jesus is doing. The Lord Jesus is encouraging faith Jairus could already believe the difficult. Now, could he believe the impossible? There's fear, right? Do not fear, only believe, Jesus responds to the messenger and to Jairus. Don't be afraid of what? Death. Don't be afraid of what people may think about you for trusting me. The fear of man, we read in Scripture, proves to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Is Jairus afraid of death? Probably. Is he afraid maybe of what people will think of him as he falls down at the feet of Jesus? Probably. Does he fear exercising faith in a seemingly hopeless situation? Does he fear making a fool of himself? Only believe. It's time for a grammar lesson. Believe and keep believing. Don't stop believing. And for you 80s music fans, yes, when I thought about don't stop believing, it was running through my head. But that's the grammar. Believe and don't stop believing. 
If Jesus is and remains with you, there is no ground for fear. Jesus was literally in the boat with his disciples. They were afraid. Jesus calls for faith. They wonder who on earth are they with? If Jesus is and remains with you, there's really no ground for fear. Because the call is to trust the person, not the circumstances. You see, faith is rooted in and grounded in the person of Jesus. Notice that Jesus stresses that power depends not on his physical presence. He isn't at the house yet. But rather, the power depends on faith, trust, believing what he says. Jesus thus spends time with the woman, not instead of attending to Jairus, but for the sake of Jairus, the disciples and us, to help us believe even in the face of death. You hear that? Jesus stops and spends time with the woman. And instead of attending to Jairus and heading to his house for the sake of Jairus, for the disciples and for us, why? To help us all believe even when facing death. Back at the house when they arrive, notice how Jesus conceals his glory. The Lord in lowly service to those in need. There's mourning people. There's deep grief in the face of death. There's hopelessness. The people laugh when Jesus said she's not dead but sleeping. Jesus brings out of the crowd Peter, James, and John, his inner circle, and the parents, and they go inside. The unbelieving crowd at that time would be a distraction. Jesus is concealing his glory, but he's also going to be declaring his victory. He says she's asleep. It's a metaphor. It's a word picture to describe death as in he will wake her up from sleep. Only Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament raised the dead, and it was always in response to prayer. We've already seen Jesus with the son of the widow, and now with this 12-year-old daughter of the synagogue ruler. Jesus speaks. Jesus doesn't have to pray. Jesus heals with his word. Child, Arise. It's almost as if Jesus said, get up. It's time for school. Actually, it's time to eat. Isn't that interesting? It's little details like this that almost highlight the authenticity of Scripture. Why would this detail be in there? I mean, isn't the important thing that she got raised from the dead? Yes, and Jesus then recognizes that she needs food, compassion, kindness, normal life. Victory over death, that final enemy. We've seen storms, we've seen demons, we've seen disease, and we've seen death. As Paul says to the Corinthians, the last enemy is death. And so in this twin account of disease and death, 
Luke has heightened the problems in order to show the greater power and might of Jesus. This episode has been all about faith, faith in Jesus. So I hope we've seen that sometimes it appears that Jesus ignores our faith. Jesus grows our faith and Jesus tests our faith. Well, let's go back to the question. Do you believe in miracles? Again, the important question is not whether or not you believe in miracles. Rather, the question is, do you believe in Jesus? Jesus saw that question answered in the affirmative in the actions of the woman. And in the actions of Jairus to continue to go with him. The question that Jesus is asking Jairus, again, is not, do you believe in miracles? He's asking Jairus, do you believe in me? Jesus was asked a question by some people in John 6, and they said, Jesus, what must we be doing to, what must we do to be doing the works of God? It's an understandable question, right? What are we supposed to do? You know how Jesus responds? This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. They're asking, what must we do? And Jesus says, you must believe. In other words, our faith must rest on him, not merely our agenda for him or on him as he we wished he would be, but our faith must rest on Jesus as he's revealed in the scriptures. Jesus is asking us, God's word, as it were, is asking us, will you believe in me? Do you believe in me despite the circumstances? Will you trust me even when it seems like I'm ignoring your faith? Will you trust me while in the midst of the often slow process of growing your faith? Will you trust me in the difficult and challenging times when I am testing your faith? Jesus' half-brother James writes these words. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. My initial reaction to my faith being tested is no. Scripture says it is good for you. That's how you grow. That's how you mature. That's how you find out more and more that Jesus really is who he says he is. And you can throw your life into his hands. My friends, we're all facing the decay of our bodies, disease. And we're all facing the end of our life, death. Do we face disease and death with fear or with faith? Look at the progression again of chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. There's a storm, there's a possession by demons. And there's disease, and all of that leads to death. Death, the enemy that all of us face. 
For it's destined for all of us to die once, and after that comes judgment, we read in Hebrews 9. And when it comes to death, Jesus, this Jesus, the one who who let the woman touch him, the one who went to the home of the man who had lost his 12-year-old daughter, this Jesus has come on a mission to destroy and to deliver. For we read in Hebrews chapter two that since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, that is Jesus, himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those, hear this, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. My friends, when the fear of death is gone, there is freedom to live. Both the healing of the woman and the raising of the girl are pictures of salvation. My friends, rest today. Rejoice today that Jesus has authority over your most powerful enemies, sin and death. Luke shows us that Jesus knows what he's doing. He shows us that Jesus loves those who trust in him completely. And my friends, The love of Jesus is compatible with the delay of Jesus. Jesus is never in a hurry. He's never late. He's always right on time. He's always right on time as he exercises his authority over disease, the disease of sin, and death. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this narrative account of Jesus ministering to a known man and an unknown woman, ministering to the powerful and important and ministering to the unknown outcast. Father, we thank you that Jesus The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. All kinds of people lost in all kinds of ways. Father, help us when we hear Jesus say to us, do not fear, only believe. Help our eyes, the eyes of our faith to be on Jesus. Help us to trust him. Help us to rest in him, we pray. Amen.